Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome into the Seminole Rap Podcast. A huge week in Tallahassee, Florida State. It's a rivalry victory come from behind fashion over Miami. I'm your host, Brian Pellering, here with Juan Montalvo as always. John off this week, spilling in. Tommy Meyer, Mir, my bad. Tommy, welcome in, buddy. How's it feeling? Doing good, man. How you doing? Uh, it's good. You were in the game, or at the game, got to cover it, so we'll be checking in with you on your feel for that. Um, your unique perspective in that end. Juan and I got to check it out on TV at home, but it still hits the same, a come-from-behind victory, especially in exciting fashion down there at the wire with a fourth and 14 to win it. Juan, impressive all the way around. Yeah, I mean, you, you really can't overstate, uh, you know, the importance of the first win against a big rival for a coach. You know, it may not be against a good Miami team. It may not be, against, you know, the best of the rivals right now. Um, Actually, maybe, <laughs> uh, but you know the, the 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 first win over Miami is important, and doing it in such like a, a heartbreaking way for Miami makes it just that much sweeter. It was kind of weird week. I mean, it just didn't feel like a, a, a Miami week, you know, around around town, around campus as you drove drove around. It just you know normally you know uh, obviously the seven the uh, hurricane flag was, was were, were hoisted fly, high over the practice fields, but you know, it just, I don't know, it seemed quiet around town. And I'll ask Tom, you know, we'll ask Tommy what he thinks about that. But uh, it just didn't seem to have the same energy as, as you know, some big Miami weeks. But, I mean, hey, the, win, the energy in town after that has been fantastic. What do you think, Tommy? I mean, I kind of, I kind of agree with you going, in, going into the game. But once we got to the stadium, it was just electric. Like, I think that – there was, there was actually more fans there than there were for another game. But just the, cla- the crowd, especially coming back from the deficit, the, the crowd was just so incredible. You could hear them chanting the war chant, throwing the chop. Like it, it, it was good. Um, so I think that really kind of energized, at least from what I've seen in practice, they were very energetic today and confidence or confident. I, I think that really helped out the program. Like, as far as how they perceive themselves going and being a rival like that. Yeah. It's, it's a huge emotional boost when you go in. I mean, especially, I mean, and, and, you know, I think Juan, you, me, you and John talked about this last week where going in, I think we kind of expected this to be, I know you put me on the spot. I thought Miami would win in cover um, the three and two and a half. I think it was, but this could not have started better for Florida state. You get the turnovers that begin the game. You get to jump out 17 nothing, and you, it feels like, okay, here we go. This is exactly the game script you would want for this team. Run the ball, keep everything in front of you defensively, and it sets up exactly how you would want it to go. I had the few Miami fans that I know texting me, oh, we're, we're done for, this is over. I'm like, look, I don't think you can say Florida State is the team that's going to run away with this. But from the way that that started, I would have said this is exactly what you would have wanted surprised that they gave it back so quickly, but I mean, it worked out where they ended up having enough time to then take it back themselves. I did think the two big keys, I mean, for me, stars of the game and Jordan Travis would be number one. I thought played phenomenally running and throwing the ball, but I can't say enough about Jermaine Johnson. 
Uh, I know RG3 called him the monstar all game long, which was annoying as could be. But I mean, the guy is a program changer. And and I, they talked about that all week. And he's unbelievable. He's been Florida State's best player on either side of the ball. I mean, Jermaine Johnson, you know, coming in from Georgia, you heard some folks trying to say that he probably wasn't going to have that big an impact. Um, you know, he didn't do he didn't get that many snaps at Georgia. How can he be that good? Well, he's proven that that was not the issue. Um, he clearly is a fantastic player. Um, and he was, in my opinion, the player of the game. All due respect to yep. Jordan Travis, but Jermaine Johnson uh, was truly a monster. And I hope somebody at ESPN, if they're listening, will, you know, find one of those big golf holes that they took Bill Murray and Michael Jordan down, send RG3 down one of those. And could put him on football <laughs> games. Like, give me Joe Tess, give me Sean McDonough, give me, you know, give me freaking Brock Heward or Damon Heward. I always forget which one. Any of those guys, even one of the members of the Greasy family. I mean, let's put those guys in the booth. Let's get rid of RG3 and the Monstars and keep Jermaine Johnson. I wish he had another year of eligibility. A, a huge performance. I mean, it's a senior night, right? Seven tackles, five tackles for loss, three sacks, a forced fumble. The forced fumble obviously leading right to a touchdown. Uh, fourth defensive line, ACC defensive lineman of the week. Tommy, this guy is just, he's a difference maker, period, end of story. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, he's tied 10 and a half sacks with Sam Williams at Old Miss. You know, he's been nominated for numerous awards. You know, I mean, he's definitely, when he came down, well, he basically, he's a game changer. And I, I heard some of the Miami reporters, like, in the box, you know, as polite as they were, like saying that he's the best player on the field. And um, that, that was kind of a – it was it was a good good thing hearing that because you know that that guy is the person that's that's the best on the field. You're looking at an NFL prospect out there. Juan, I, I'm just curious, and, and probably both of you can speak to this, but obviously only a year, but w- what type of legacy on a team like this can he, can he have long-term in the school? I mean – when you're looking at a team that's trying to build its way out of the hole it's in, is there, is there something, can he build himself into that? T- I mean, obviously the year he's had is incredible and he could win national awards with how he's performing, but I think it's a type of guy that can, that they had to have as a program builder. And, and I don't know if that is going to leave as much of a lasting impact, but I feel like it, it almost has to. I mean, it's, it's, it's really rare and, and tough to do that in a, uh, in a one-year way. Yeah. Um, I mean, Florida State's had some really good one-year players. Um, Walter uh, – oh, man, I'm going to get skewered for this. The, the offensive tackle, Walter uh, – first-round tackle. <laughs> I'm on it. <laughs> uh, anyway, but the, the couple guys like that that, that stand out. Um, but there has some – yeah, Walter Jones, of course. Um, but there hasn't been anybody who immediately stands out to me, you know, like I'm thinking of years like 2009 or 10. Um, there was a defensive end. Oh man. I want to say his name was Marcus Wilson, who was a Juco guy who transferred and came in. I mean, it's obviously a lot different in this area now that you can bring it people in for, you know, one year stints. I mean, you know, you can see the fortunes of a team turned around drastically in a one or two year span. Look at, Look at your your uh, LSU Tigers, Brian. I mean, you know. Yeah, Joe I mean, Burrow Joe Burrow was the name that came exactly to mind. Yeah, he uh, he single handedly came in and elevated um, one of the best 
swamp creatures in the in the the planet to a oh, national God. championship game. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think he he definitely just because there hasn't been a lot of those yet, and they're probably you know he will go down as one for Florida State. He may not be someone who's you know widely remembered throughout college football or anything like that. And that's fine. He doesn't need to be. I mean, all he needs to do is help Florida State win win football games this year. You know, try to get to a bowl game, which is looking more likely than we had expected. Um, yeah, not more likely, but less unlikely rather. And back on the table at least. Yeah, and you know that helps the program's momentum and helps in recruiting. I mean. You beat Miami. There's obvious uncertainty around Manny Diaz with with their athletic director being out. We'll, we'll talk about that later. Uh, but it's huge for recruiting. I mean, and before we jump into anything about recruiting, I want to mention that uh, Tomahawk Nation also has a podcast on the Everything Knowles channel on iTunes called The Three Stars. <clears throat> they talk exclusively about Florida State recruiting. It's with Josh Pick, David Stout, and Tim Allenbaugh. Tim Allenbaugh used to help host on the Seminole Rap. You guys may remember him. And they are a exclusive Florida State recruiting podcast. And I don't believe anyone else does exclusively Florida State recruiting, or at least not into the into in the depth that they do. So that check those guys out if you get a chance. But this is the sort of game that has a huge impact on recruiting. I mean, and the definition of your program. And having a guy like Jermaine Johnson helps you move further, you know, further steps down that path. And sets a standard for all the guys behind him. I, Tommy, and I, 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 excuse me if you weren't there, but I'm looking at the, um, the press conferences from, from earlier this week on the articles already on Tomahawk Nation. And, and I saw Adam Fuller say, when your best players are your hardest workers, that sets the tone for everybody. Was that in reference to Jordan, Jermaine Johnson? I'm sure it was in reference to a couple different I, I feel like it probably had to be. Yeah. I'm, I imagine Jermaine Johnson is in that, that group of people he's, he's referencing. Yeah. There's, I mean, I'm there at practice, but I don't see behind the scenes. They're, they're, they're always working hard at practice, so it's, it's kind of hard to, to to say who he was specifically talking about. Sure. And, 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 you know. You've got to give a more salacious answer than that. You've just got to say, like, you know, Tate Rodemaker was out there, you know, riding the, the exercise bike extremely <laughs> slowly compared to everyone else. You know, that's a, Mr. Yeah. Rodemaker, just more of a joke. <laughs> Tate actually the, the, good there you go. Well, I, I think Jermaine absolutely speaks to the the positives of the transfer portal after, you know, I think many people last week were freaking out over the negatives of it with, with Purdy's transfer. Um, another positive, Jordan Travis. I mean, again, another phenomenal game from him. Um, and I want to really, you know, overarching, there, there obviously are gaps in his game, but the games he's been under center, they've scored and moved the ball. And that's all you can ask out of them is to put up points. And I feel like He's really opened up what they have. And, and two things that really stood out to me late in the game, obviously the, the throw to open the, well, I guess three, the throw to open the um, last drive of the game. You know, you come out and you need 60 whatever yards and, and he, he finds a guy down the sideline and puts it right on him. Um, I, I can't remember if it was the second to last drive. I think it was where he had a guy open on the right side, the far sideline on the screen of the TV telecast, I guess. And I think it was Parchment. And Parchment just stopped on his route. And, and, and But it was a great throwing ball. And, and to RG3's credit, said it was a great throwing ball. Your receiver just gave up on it. Um, and then the fourth and 14. You know, I, I think those are all plays where you look at Jordan Travis and, and you'll say, oh, he's a runner first and he's not a thrower. But, I mean, on two drives that you had to have, he had a lot of 
great throws to bring them back in this game and, and win it. And he didn't have to just do it once. I mean, the second to last drive, I'll say they stuck to the run a lot and that ate a lot of clock and, you know, Norvell made the call to kick that field goal. I was kind of skeptical at the time. I mean, I guess, you know, you're looking at fourth and long, kick the field goal. Eight's not going to win you the game, but it ended up working out. It ended up being the right call. So I really thought he, he made throws you had to have. And, and tell me, I don't know what that kind of atmosphere was in the, obviously being in the press box, but you know, from your vantage point up above those throws, I mean, it was stuff that you were kind of like, wow, that's, that's what you need to have at a college quarterback, especially one who is so great with his legs. Definitely. I mean, I've seen him make those throws. It's just when the game was on the line and it had to happen, you know, he, he made the throws, you know, he's got an arm. People always bag on him for his arm, but he actually can make passes like that. Um, and of course his receivers helped him out a little bit, but you know, a that's, little. <laughs> the clutch, that's the clutch moment that, that you need to have to win games, in my opinion. You know what? Uh, uh, games aren't won on paper. They're won on parchment. <laughs> <laughs> hey, shout out to parchment. That was a great catch. Yeah, I'm trademarking that phrase, by the way. Uh, if, any, <laughs> if any RG3s or, or his compatriots out there use that, I won't use Monstars, and they can't use that line. <laughs> Anything, anything, Juan, on just – it felt like a growing up a growing up moment for, for, for a quarterback who is, is, you know, maybe early in the season you, you had doubts on whether it was him, whether it was Milton, not typically, but the fan base as a whole. And, you know, he seems to have really, really grown up each week making the plays to put them in games. And this week, you know, we've talked about the win by – lose by a lot, lose by little. It, it seems like the incremental growth continues to be there especially at the quarterback position, which can cover up a lot of issues if he continues that path. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna borrow from yeah, – I'm going to use one of my phrases and then I'll steal one of John's uh, since he's not here tonight to use it. But, um, you know, progress isn't linear, and, and that applies to – that's John's phrase. And that applies to the other thing I always like to say, you know, the progression you see as the program grows, grows is that they lose by a lot, lose by a little, win by a little, win by a lot. And it comes in fits and starts. You know, you're going to have games like, you know, like last week. But you're also going to have games like this week where you come in and you beat a team that was favored against you at home. So that's a, a big positive. And, I mean, I really I really think that you, you, you called it a growing up moment. And I think uh, a funny one for a, a young quarterback uh, the other night was a spike at the end of the game with less than three seconds on the clock. <laughs> And he just took it, it. It's I don't. It seemed like he took a month to spike that ball. He did. I don't know what what his what his lack of of urgency was there, but it was like, what are you doing, kid? Not, like I, obviously, I didn't want them to you know get another down, and throw the ball again. But I was like, is he not spiking the ball? Why is he not spiking the ball? Like, yeah, you know, I felt I, I felt bad for the kid. Didn't feel bad for the, for for Miami, obviously, because you know, <laughs> f him, but. Uh, they they really just that was so bizarre. I mean, I can't remember the last time I've seen you know a spike that was that slow to fall into the delay period. I mean, I think they snapped it uh, five seconds left, and it, and it, he finally spiked it like th- two. I think the snap was at two, yeah, and then it hit the ground. I mean, he spiked two one, but I think it, it it felt like the the clock operator just switched it off, thinking you know snap spike. And in reality, it was 
snap, three-step drop, throw it into the ground. It, I, I didn't know the rule. Clearly, Mike Norvell did. So, I mean, hats off to him because as soon as as soon as he took it, he started throwing, you know, the three fingers in the air and, and was even signaling for a timeout. Look over here, you know, three seconds, three seconds, he can't spike that. I, hats off to him on that, but I've never seen that before. Oddly enough, my wife, when I, when I was watching it, she was like, oh, yeah, you can't spike with three seconds left. I looked over and she was like, yeah, that happened in an Auburn game like last year or something. I was like, oh, yeah. she went to Auburn. So hats off to her for knowing it. I had never seen it before. Yeah, when they changed that rule like uh, five or six years ago now, I remember, remember it happening in a game, and I don't remember exactly. It was seven or eight years. I don't know. It's been, it's been some time now. But the, that, was, that was, I think, around the same time that they instituted the 10-second runoff, which seems to have kind of disappeared over the years or is like less applied. I'm not sure. But um, yeah, we're we're getting into the arcanities of NCAA football rules. <laughs> Suffice it to say, it was a weird situation where it's like you got to have a play ready there. I mean, even if you know you're you're gonna slow down, and it, it, even if you're you know knew you you were gonna spike it, why did you wait that long to do it? Like, just get up there and go. Don't. It was just bizarre. I mean, it's the encapsulation of why you know. Miami is at the point they are, I think. I mean, to, to think about like a, a reasoning or make excuses, I don't, I don't really know what happened. Maybe he got confused on the play call and that was his first instinct was to, to spike it. But, you know, that's just throwing, you know, stuff into the wind and trying to figure out why he did that. And, and it was a, you know, it was a new, new mistake. You know, he's not very experienced. I will I throw it does one. show the. Oh, sorry, sorry, Tommy. I will throw this one out there. Um, I mean, one of the most famous plays in Miami Dolphins history was the fake Spike Marino did years ago in like '91 or '92, and you never know if they, the Miami might have had something up his sleeve, but it didn't work either way. Sorry. Yeah, no, not at all. Yeah. I, it's, before we move on to Manny, I do, Tommy, just generally atmosphere in the game. And I don't want to go into the negatives of the, of the collapse. I, I think, to be honest, I was live betting the holy hell out of Miami because I felt like Florida State was eventually going to have that moment because they just they just don't have the talent depth to do that. Ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching all the way down the board. But, Tommy, the kind of the atmosphere, the, the, the highs of the highs of taking the lead, the fall of, of giving it back, and then the highs of taking it back. What, what was the stadium like? I know you weren't in the stands, but what, what was that kind of feeling like, I guess, comparatively to that Notre Dame game as well? I think I, the feeling really didn't, didn't change. It, it, was, it was like a – I guess it lulled down a little bit, but it, the energy was still there. It wasn't like people were leaving the stands. Um, compared to the Notre Dame game, I I personally felt that this game was louder, but other people have said that they felt Notre Dame was louder. I'm not sure, but the energy to me in that game was a lot more tangible, I think, even even in the lull, because they were trying to cheer cheer them back into into winning. And it you know, it ended up working. Yeah, and it's one of those against a rival. Obviously, you know, maybe the, that dip doesn't feel there. You know, it's one of those things, even though both programs are are down and Miami appears to be hiding even further down, we'll get there right here in just a second. But it's, you know, when they're when they're equal footing, it it adds to it. You don't want to lose to them. And, and I mean, it, it obviously paid out and, and it kept that energy in there, that, that just mutual, I don't want to call it hatred. Hatred probably is fair, though. Um, 
and while we're here kicking them while they're down, uh, Manny maybe on the way out, maybe job saved, depending on how Juan feels about it. I'll, I'll get his thoughts here. Uh, athletic director Blake James out at Miami uh, today or today's Tuesday. So it would have been Monday. He got, he got let go mutually parting ways as they apparently um, plan to invest in athletics after seemingly let that, letting that not be the case. Juan, do you think this helps Manny's uh, future down there, hurts his future down there? Depends on who you listen to. Um, yeah, and it, for some people, they think that it just means that, it, you know, the, the Manny's time is up and it's just a matter of when there's a new AD in there and who will install, you know, his new coach, which is pretty standard in most programs. You know, if there's a new athletic director who comes in and, and the football program's not having success, They'll usually be a part of making a change, and then the athletic department, the athletic director, as part of the full administrative team, will you know lead the search through an expensive coaching search firm uh, for a new coach. Um, the that's the conventional school of thought, I would say, just because that's how we've seen it happen at a million schools. the The weird part is when you get to the Miami fans who think, okay, well, we got rid of the athletic director, but we're going to keep. Uh, uh, Manny Diaz for a year, not for any reason other than waiting on more coaches or something like that. The logic really doesn't string together well. Or the other one is Manny's just going to be fired at the end of the season for a slightly improved buyout, which, you know, we saw today, t- Tuesday, that we saw uh, a firing of um, Justin, Fuente. Justin Fuente from Virginia Tech on Tuesday morning at 8 a.m which if it, if it had held three or four weeks longer, Virginia Tech would have saved two and a half million dollars. I think really at the end of the day, what you're seeing is that these, these programs, which had once been great, are now trying to recapture that greatness. And I do, I do believe the um, Miami commitment to football will change um, from the degree it was. I don't know to what degree it will be, I don't think you're going to see, you know, a Jimbo at A&M sort of contract for the next coach or anything like that. Um, you know, John Gruden, come on up. Uh, but, you know, the, they, they're probably not as core off as they were made to seem, you know, 10 years ago. Um, the administration, the new president, uh, I think Frank is his name. Uh, yeah. And I, I trust Bruce Feldman on reporting about the University of Miami. He has been dead on about everything that's gone on there. And I believe it was his article in The Athletic that basically said the new president in, in association with a couple key trustees, one or two of whom were named, basically said, okay, we want to invest in football. We see, we see the current program as an embarrassment to the school as a whole. And that's really the key part here is that the U Miami brand in South Florida is very large and you have to stop. Don't think and associate it with the Miami Hurricanes football program. Initially, they have a huge hospital system where they have three of their own hospitals and they have partnerships with several others in the South Florida area. The Baskin Palmer Eye Institute is the best ophthalmology place in the country. Uh, or, you know, one of them, I got my LASIK there seven or eight years ago. Um, and, you know, they have an excellent academic, you know, program all around. And then they have the absolute 
crap show that is the Miami football program, which is one of the most visible aspects of the university. So when they say that they're more willing to invest and in making it not be an embarrassment, I believe them in the context of that, in the context of the university as a whole. Um, because, you know, 10 years ago when the Nevin Shapiro scandal broke and all that sort of stuff happened, the, the, the intent of the embarrassment was to basically just get their names out of the newspapers being, you know, the bad boys. Well, now they want to be, you know, they want to be, be the same level of success as the rest of their university holistically for lack of a better term. And that's what Bruce Feldman is, is, is effectively reporting. And there's a handful of donors on there who have already documented interest in sports. You've got uh, Jorge Mas, who is the owner of the Inter Miami. Inter Miami with David Beckham. Um, he was angling for the Florida Marlins team and got screwed when the when when uh, Jeffrey Loria decided to give it to freaking Derek Jeter. As used for leverage fan. along with Alex Rodriguez. Yes, yeah, so stupid. It pissed me off so much. I mean, if the Moss family had been involved in the, the, the Marlins, they'd be far more successful than they are now. I mean, they would have actually invested instead of – we're not a Marlins podcast, but suffice it to say <laughs> there's intelligent money that seems to be interested in actually spending money in sports. And that's kind of scary. Um, you know, I don't think they're going to overtake anybody. They still are a relatively limited to geographic uh, area, but – <clears throat> this isn't the lack of investment Miami that it was 10 years ago. So I don't, I don't think anything's going to change overnight. Um, that's a, a long way to get to the short answer of Miami Diaz, unless he really changes things in the recruiting aspect of things is probably done. I mean, his class is currently ranked 60th, which really is kind of unfair. He's got eight commitments, five or four stars. So, you know, if he, he's got to add to that class, obviously, but, if you're gonna if you're gonna really invest in football, you need to get rid of the guy now and you know blow the doors off of the of the next guy and get the you know just get get rip the bandaid off and go. Yeah, and and I, I personally don't have any connections uh, to to Miami, but I am a, a Levitard show listener, uh, so take that wherever you want. But Mike Ryan Ruiz, their executive producer, is is a big donor down there for what it seems, and he's been saying since the week one game against Alabama that Blake James was out. You know, and no matter who said what, he was steadfast that everything he'd heard inside the program, he's out. And today they were talking about it again on Tuesday. And his point was, again, this this does not change anything. This is a signal that the school is going to commit to football and that Manny will go next. It's just tick tock, tick tock, end of the season. And then when that comes in, it's it's who's who ends up taking this job. They're going to be competing against a lot of other big programs, obviously LSU. USC has an opening. Could Florida have an opening? Dan Mullen's seat got hotter. I don't know. But I, from what it sounds like, the pipe dream for them seems to be Mario Cristobal. And then from there, I, I don't know. But yeah, like you said, I mean, if they're going to invest in football like this, it, it becomes interesting when you're in state school is, is finally going to decide to put up some money and, and go chasing after it. Um, to hit on the in-state school, Dan Mullen, Samford, really – I mean, come on. I mean, they hit the over in the first quarter, it seems like. I was taking live overs every 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 series, and it just kept hitting over and over. 
man, you, you must have busy thumbs if you were live betting like three games at once. Well, I was sitting in the Chick-fil-A drive-thru on Saturday around like one o'clock and they were taking forever. But, uh, you know, we, we've gone on and on, on on Dan Mullen. Tommy, do you do you believe he makes it through this? Do you do you think Dan Mullen has a, has any idea what he's doing? It, it seems like Gainesville's kind of had enough of him. I honestly think he makes through it. I'm, I'm not really sure. Um, what he said after – he said some ridiculous things like over the season, which kind of makes me lean the other way. But, you know, the whole recruiting thing where he's like, we're not going to talk about recruiting, you know? And then after the, after the win, he's like, I'm not going to call any win disappointing, but he kind of played off, played it off. Like his team didn't just give up the most points an FCS team has gotten on an SEC team in like history. He acted like that. That was like completely irrelevant. And um, I do think that he sticks around at least for one more season. Yeah, my, my question was, was you know, could he – we, we talked about it last week and we thought the firing of, of Todd Grantham was kind of like, the, okay, here's my scapegoat. I'll make it through the year. And my question was, if he were to lose one of the last three, would that be enough? Because it was Samford, I believe, Missouri, and then obviously Florida State next week. I didn't expect Samford to be the one that would almost beat him. But that has to put – no, they already played Missouri, but whoever, Vandy maybe next, one of those terrible SEC East teams. But, I mean, you have to think, if, if, if Florida State goes in there and wins, we might be having the same conversation again. I, I feel like Gainesville is kind of running short on that. Of course, that game, two weeks down the road, but this week Florida State gets Boston College. Boy, I remember when they were talked about as a potential New Year's Six team by people who were just quickly overreacting to the start of football season. This team has – main people. Yes, insane people. Well, I mean, I was saying this, I was making the same joke about Wake Forest, but they're sitting number 10 tonight and continue to look good every week. But Boston College is a nice kick, obviously, every week. Every week. But uh, six and four, Boston College, they've obviously slid back, not ranked anymore. Or I'm not sure if they ever were, but this team seems to be another one of those obviously winnable games for Florida State. I believe they're a two and a half point underdog. Um, mm-hmm. Expectation-wise, I certainly feel like they can win, Tommy. I mean, I would hope they'd win. Um, I, th- I think it's I think it's attainable. I, it is going to be at, at home for Boston College. I think that might have some sort of effect to it. But I do think it's a very winnable game. I think they match up really well. Made me think about the potential temperature up there. One, I don't, I don't see this being. I mean, I see you know Boston College's offense has struggled lately. Um, seven points, 14, six points against Syracuse, 17 and a win against Virginia Tech. Not exactly high scoring, um, but this has got to be a game, I think, where if you're – and I don't want to put the pressure on them because you are building a program, but I feel like I have to think – I'm looking at the football power index from ESPN here that has them as a only a 41% chance to win. I just – I'm trying not to overreact to – I just watched Florida State win – so I think they should win, but two and a half points is on a neutral site. They'd probably be favored by a half point or a point. I, I I'm concerned with the road game and the travel all the way up north, but I, I still expect their their run game to travel well. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, you know, I think a cold game would not tradition traditionally favor a Florida State team in you know November. Um, just you know, your typical, if you go back, you know, into the nineties and even into 
into Jimbo's tenure. If, you know, those are teams that would throw at least 30 times a game. Um, more now <laughs> in the Jordan Travis era, we're going to probably run it uh, 30 times a game or more. So uh, I, I'm a little bit less concerned about that than I would normally would be. Um, I think the really, really the main concern you've got to have in this game is uh, that, that, uh, you know, Phil Jerkovich is back. I don't know if I'm saying his name correctly. It's, it's, it's very Serbian or Eastern or whatever you want it to be, <clears throat> but they don't throw the ball much. They still run the ball a whole heck of a lot, but he's, he had a really good game against Georgia tech and, you know, he threw for, 300 yards, but that was only on 20 attempts. I mean, he's, he's thrown for nine and 15 yards per attempt in, in the two games since he's been back. So while they haven't scored a lot, they've seen a pretty nice performance out of their, out of their, you know, recently re-healthy. That's not a word. Recently returned. Not healthier. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And, you know, traditionally, you know, you go back into his previous years and uh, Mr. Djurkovic, He's been a pretty good quarterback at home. Um, you know, he's he he seems to, for whatever reason, um, his 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 split stats uh, at home versus away are you know twenty percent better. So uh, it's hard to really translate that into a single game scenario. But suffice it to say, if there's if there's one thing that you you point at that that gives you gives you pause for Florida State pulling up there and winning, it's a fully healthy. Phil Jerkovic. Yeah, and I was looking at their their game along backwards. I, the uh, those 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 low scoring games were all the games that Jerkovic missed. So now this season, the last, most recent game was a forty one point performance against Georgia right. Tech. And actually, yeah. I was looking at my stats backwards as well. For whatever reason, he actually seems to be worse at at uh, on the at home than on the road over the past four years. Granted, that doesn't factor in quality of the opponent or anything like that, but. It's just kind of a weird thing to note. He's about two yards per attempt worse at home than he is on the road. Yeah, and, and you know, I mean, you're looking at two teams that are at the bottom of the, the Atlantic standings here. So, I mean, it, it's not exactly going to be like, – you, you know, there's not a ton on the table here, but it, it's still when, – when you when that team's getting their quarterback back, you've got to expect a better effort. Obviously, they just hung 41 on Georgia Tech on the road. Florida, Florida State at this point is in a in a classic uh, letdown, look ahead situation in between yeah. their two biggest rivals, um, and you know probably looking for blood with with the Gators right now when they were you know a supposed top ten caliber level team earlier in the season. So I mean, I, it's hard for me to look at this game and not see it, it's a conference game on the road. And, you know, you can talk about the ACC as not being a good conference, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, conference games on the road, I don't care what conference you're in, if it's the SEC or if it's, a, you know, the ACC or even, you know, the, the, the fun belt. Road conference games are tough. It's just how college football works. So I, I, I have less optimism for this game than I do certain, you know, certain other games. But I still think Florida State – can go up there and if they play a, a, a B, B plus game, come out of there with win. And I think that's where you've got to, you got to have the coaching staff be able to keep that focus on, you know, the potential for six wins and, and that on the table. I mean, Tommy, you said you were out at practice, you know, what was the feel like out there? How do you feel like they practiced? Is there, uh, you know, a lot of energy, I assume after the win, but uh, you know, how, how are they feeling out there from your sense? 
there's a there's an increased confidence with with a lot of the players, especially with Parchment and uh, Jakai Douglas. You know, they both when Douglas caught a touchdown today and was like screaming like hair on fire, like running into the end zone, and like the the whole sideline came down to celebrate with him. And that that thing has happened before, but there's there's a a new confidence with with the team. Well, hopefully that translates. You know, into, hopefully that translates up to to the trip to to um, Cherry Hill. So, yeah, hopefully it should. I I, I can definitely see that that when kind of gave them something to play for more so than it had before or more so than the season had before. Yeah. I mean, you're, 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 we talked about, you're looking at the potential to be six and six. If, if you can end the season on a three game win streak, which puts you in a bowl game, if, you know, if you can do that. All right. So we're going to flip it around here for a new segment that we've been, we, we talked about uh, internally before uh, last week. And so Brian does a betting piece on Tomahawk Nation every week, and sure do. He seems to not be doing pretty well in his uh, in his numbers here. So we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and bring up a new segment we call Brian's Bets. So Brian, you have three bets here listed: Ohio State minus nineteen and a half, Florida State plus two and a half, and then on the Thursday night Brian Peller and special. The Louisville Duke under 16 and a half. Explain your rationale for each in 25 seconds per per, wow. per, per 25 per. seconds per each pick. Okay. Per. Well, I'll just start with that Thursday night Louisville Duke pick. Uh, just because I'm a degenerate and already locked that in. I don't see 60 and a half. I think Louisville might have a chance to score 60. I don't think Duke can score. I think they're one of the worst teams out there. Um, I'm not sure Cutcliffe is gonna make it much longer. You're 15. They're terrible. Three, two, one. What's that? Next one. Three, go. two, one times out. Next one. I think Ohio state might be the best team in the country. Um, I, right. I think they've got you're, the you're best chance on to one. beat Next Georgia. Game. I think they've got the best chance to beat Georgia. I think their offense with, they've got three top receivers. CJ Stroud's been incredible. Might win the Heisman probably at this rate likely will. And they've got a great running back. And I think you need all four of those things to beat Georgia. I think you, if you're UGA, you have to be scared for them to be fourth. Luckily, I think Georgia beats Alabama and pushes them out of the top 25. Two. Go, 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 go. Next pick. I've got Florida State plus two and a half. Um, I just love the idea of getting two and a half points. Like I talked about before, um, I think this is the game that they win. I was scared to take them out right because somehow these lines always end up being exactly right for God knows what reason. Um, so I took two and a half points for some safety. But, yeah, I think Florida State wins it outright. I just think that they're, they're good enough to do it. I just checked the weather, 45 degrees, sunny. It shouldn't be – it's not supposed to rain. It's nothing like that. I think it should be fine. And there you go. That's – Brian's bets. Brian's bets. Whoo, stressful. I was just checking to see how I did last week because I'm pretty sure in my head I did okay, although I did say Virginia was going to beat Notre Dame. This is one of those, those things where you write it on Thursday – and when I woke up Saturday morning and saw that Armstrong wasn't going to play for Virginia, I went, oh, that's going to be a loss for sure. Yeah, I feel like uh, you should be able to revive those sort of things. Um, and yeah, I, I, maybe I should go back and do it. But, you know, I got a bunch of guys in the comments who come through and comment right afterwards. And, and I feel bad going back and changing my picks if they can't change their picks. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, you know, you've got, you're going with the information that you've got. 
Um, but yeah, yeah I think what we're going to do for the rest of the season. And then it's going to be something we probably do in the off season with like Florida state basketball. Uh, I don't know if you're, if, what, what other sports Brian likes to play, but just sort of try oh, to I keep crush it on us men's national team today. One, one tie had that three different ways felt good. Oh, it really? So you rooted against America and it felt uh, good. Yeah. They didn't have their midfield. Uh, I actually, I'm trying to get into soccer. So I, yeah, I definitely was, I decided to sign up for that. And yeah, I, I, I mean, I watched the game last week and I was like, you know what? I think I know how this one's going to go with their entire midfield, not playing. And I, right. I think we're going to end on the high note of Brian Pellerin signing off saying he hates America and he won money betting against them. <laughs> it doesn't really ring the same with the fan base as Dan Mullen is a clown. Uh, I do have <laughs> one other side note. Uh, obviously I've been, you know, I, I've previously been at LSU went there and still have a lot of friends there. Um, I saw this Monday, both Lincoln Riley and Jimbo again, were asked about the job at LSU after both kind of got, I know, some traction, I guess, in that realm. Uh, and, and I only bring it up, not just to, to, to the LSU horn, but this is because LSU and Florida State obviously play Labor Day next year. Um, I mean, everything I hear is that it, it sounds like it's Jimbo's to turn down, um, which obviously sets up a lot of fun for Labor Day next year, where uh, Jimbo's last game at Texas A&M would be against LSU, and then his first game at LSU would be against Florida State, if that comes to be. But I figure you guys would probably be interested as that seems to keep developing. We'll see what happens over the next two weeks, but sounds like it's Jimbo's to say no to. Yeah, I think he's – but didn't he already say he he would, like, die first or something like that? Or no, that was the Texas he, Tech coach. He, the Texas Tech coach said he can't think of anywhere better to die than Lubbock or something. And I, I can think of about 850 other places I'd rather die than Lubbock just off the top of my head. But that's probably the only cities I can name is 850. But, yeah, I, 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 I think it's – he said a couple times that he's happy with the job he's in. I don't know how many times i got to say it. I don't want to move. Uh, you know, about, this is where I want to be. He's talking about playing against the recruiting class that he recruited. He's like, why would I leave? Yeah, why would I leave against this class? Against recruiting class or something of, of that nature. But it seems like – I don't know. It seems like that's Jimbo's stick. Well, he also yeah, said twice someone's... that that would make him the dumbest human being on earth. <laughs> In the same well, he'd sentence, be replacing said, the dumbest human being on earth. <laughs> hey, now that's that's actually Ed Orgeron's claim, and he's your swamp donkey. That's uh, what I just said. <laughs> oh, sorry, I thought you were referring yeah. to Jimbo. But so this is, no, this is my exact job. quote: uh, "We're going to recruit an unbelievable class this year." Okay, so either I'm the dumbest human being on God's earth who's going to recruit all these guys to A and M so I can go over there and play against them. If I did that, y'all would say that's the dumbest human being. I don't want him to be my coach. So he said. I'm the dumbest human being two times. And what was his denial times. when he was at Florida State? Because I, I heard someone say, you line up the, the denial that he gave on Monday and the one he gave when he was at Florida State, and they'd sound almost word for word the same. That's a great I idea. Think, I think he said, uh, that ain't my Christmas tree out there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't remember the exact verbiage, but it was it, it was – I don't remember it being something like that. And I don't remember it being, you know, that tied to recruiting. It was like, I love FSU, you know, the, the typical coach denial, non-denial denial. The, the thing that Lincoln, Lincoln Riley gave today. Yeah. But I mean, I, I just, you know, all due respect to LSU. I don't see any reason for Jimbo to do it 
at this point. It, it sounds like if he if he were to make the move, it's to follow Scott Woodward, who was his AD at um, at A and M, who hired him there, uh, who's now the LSU athletic director. I I haven't seen the contract myself, but I've been told that contract for Jimbo for some reason doesn't have a buyout, so it won't cost LSU anything to take him from Texas A and M, which they're already paying Ogeron eight and a half million dollars to just go fishing somewhere. I feel like that may play a role though. You know, there's nothing that state wants to spend all their oil money on more than a head football coach. Well, I'll tell you what, he's got effectively a $90 million guaranteed 10 year contract at A&M. So they've been LSU may not have to pay a big buyout, but they're literally going to have to do a nine figure contract. Yeah. And they're not going to, they're not going to outspend A&M because A&M, well, I want to say A&M feels like they have a coach, which has them in the game. Uh, my brother-in-law is – my sister went to Texas A&M, and my, my soon-to-be brother-in-law is is also an Aggie. And some, for some reason, the, the Ole Miss loss this weekend seems to have soured them on that. I, I don't – on on Jimbo's prowess as a coach, I, I don't know how one game can do that when, you know – I know you were supposed to compete at that high of a level, but it, it, seems, it seems crazy to be A&M and think, wow, we can't be losing at Ole Miss. I mean, it's stupid. It's a one-game scenario. And the biggest yeah. thing that you've got to look at is he's, you know, Jimbo really would be, would be one of the dumbest human beings on earth to leave a $90 million contract where he's also got the recruiting class he does. I mean, he's got a, in a, in a, in a 18 commitment class, he's got 15 blue chips, including two five stars. So you, you know what? He's got the number three class in the country. He's got the number two player in the country. And he's got, uh, a, a, you know, half the top 10 of Texas right now. So you tell me, is he wrong? I mean, he, he should say. I mean, I, 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 I'm not one of these Florida State fans who begrudges Jimbo for, for leaving as much as, as, as some other folks. But he's, he's starting to pull in some serious talent there. I mean, he's at a point now where, you know, the blue chip ratio is over 50%, and it has been for a couple of years. And he's getting to a point where I think they can they can compete. Yeah, I, I think for sure. And 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 the school that has that money and has just needed someone to put it to use, it's it's definitely there, especially with I mean, God, you just saw Texas lose to Kansas. That state's wide open. Um, I know LSU not anymore. Well, yeah, not anymore. That's what I'm saying. He has got it. It's just it's his for the taking. Gary Patterson's gone. Texas Tech just hired a new coach. I mean, there's is Houston their toughest competition. I mean it, it's it's wide open and I know LSU's done great in Texas for years and I, I assume that to continue they they always schedule games in Houston and and, and Dallas for those to, to keep that uh, alumni base flowing I I, I don't I, I see what you're saying to me he's not the coach that I would prefer I, I've sat here and told you guys before that Lane Kiffin is the person that I would prefer just because I think he's he's not as Roots in the ground at Ole Miss, though you could argue if he's going to get Arch Manning there, then that changes everything. But, you know, again, this isn't an LSU podcast, but I wanted to pass along the the seemingly – what I'm hearing is it's his if he wants it, which could set up for some fun next Labor Day in New Orleans, which sounds like a great time. One last thing on the Jimbo thing, just because obviously he's a Florida State guy previously. For sure. His last – Three recruiting classes there have all been 55, 60% or better 
uh, blue chips. So that's the that's the magic formula. It's that simple. If you if you don't get if you don't if you recruit more blue chips than three stars, you put yourself in the hunt to win a title. And with LSU down, he's doing that. Uh, I. I, I want to push back on LSU being down, but I don't want to keep this thing going too long. I mean, they, they were top three last year, top four the year before. I mean, you know, their recruiting classes are still there. We, we have an, an ogre trying to coach them around the field. But, you know, just on talent alone, we nearly beat Alabama in Alabama this year. We just don't have a quarterback. But that's the tale. That's the oldest story in college football. Quite frankly, if we want to look that far ahead, I think LSU is going to have to go to the transfer market if they're going to beat Florida State next year. Though, I mean, speed and defense and all that could do it on its own. But that's another story for another day, and I don't want to keep this thing rambling any any longer. This weekend, it's noon, ACC Network at Boston College, Cherry Hill. What a fun time. For all who are going, enjoy yourself in that 45 degrees. I'll be here in the nice, warm Florida weather enjoying it all. Hopefully, RG3 will be also wrapped up and off completely forever. That's a wrap. That's a wrap. That's what I meant to say. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.